Thanks for joining us for this message from Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Shades Valley and its ministries, you can visit us at shadesvalley.org. The scripture for today's sermon is 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God's the thoughts of God, except the Spirit of God. Now we who have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, the natural person cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. We acknowledge that apart from your spirit, we cannot understand your word. And so we ask that your spirit who inspired this word would open it to reveal to us your glory through it. Let us see more of you in the face of your son, Jesus Christ. We come humbly submitting ourselves under your word, not standing over it anyway as if we think that we could control it, but we submit ourselves under it, asking to receive. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and by your spirit. Amen. If you haven't had a chance, I do invite you to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 as we continue our series called to be saints. It's what this whole letter is about. The Apostle Paul is writing to this fledgling church in Corinth who's consumed with the surrounding culture and being just like the culture that surrounds it. And he's calling them out of it. You're called to be saints. Saints simply means a people set apart. Set apart for what? Not your purposes, but the purposes of God. And as I reflect on the passage that is before us this morning, it takes my mind back to my freshman year of high school. My freshman year of high school, I went on uh, an overnight field trip. And as part of this field trip, we got to go down uh, into a cave, spelunking. We were supposed to be down underground for about two hours. Around hour number three... Uh, our guide finally admitted that he was lost. We thought he was kidding until he started having us run our headlamps in shifts to conserve battery life. Six hours later, we finally emerged 
back into the glory of daylight. No thanks to our guide. It was thanks to the girls in my class who paid enough attention to the things we passed to find our way back out. I tell you that story because I think there are some similarities between it and what we have been seeing so far in 1 Corinthians. Corinthian culture was obsessed with glory, namely their own. We've seen there are a culture of self-indulgence, self-sufficiency, self-promotion. It was one of the rare places in the first century ancient world where you could like kind of climb a corporate ladder. You could, you could work your way up, be economically successful. You could achieve popularity. Like That's what they valued. Whatever would, would rocket them to the pinnacle of society, they wanted to achieve that kind of glory because that's what would give their life meaning. That's what would give them peace. That's what would make them happy, which is what every human being on the planet ever has always wanted. And here's the deal. In Corinth, there were all sorts of guides claiming that they could lead you to the goal of of social glory. We have known them primarily as sophists over the past couple of weeks. Sophists, we've talked about them a lot. These traveling teachers who claimed, I can teach you, I can guide you, I can lead you in the way of wisdom. I can be your guide to glory. But so far throughout this letter, we've seen Paul take aim at revealing that these sophists, they're not actually true guides to glory. They are lost guides who don't lead you to glory. No, they will actually lead you deeper into darkness. These sophists, Paul says, their so-called wisdom is actually foolishness. They're not guides to glory at all. They're more like a lost guide in a cave who will end up leading you deeper underground all the way down to destruction. Paul has been giving us a warning. But today we get to shift gears because Paul doesn't just have a warning for the Corinthians and a warning for us. No, he's also got gospel good news. Today he looks at the Corinthians and he looks at me and you and he goes, there is a glory. Corinth, what you're after? This glory that your heart hungers for? To give you meaning, peace, to make you happy? There is a glory. And it is greater than anything your society could ever offer you. In Corinth, there is a guide. There is one who can lead you out of darkness and into the glorious light. And that's not just true for Corinth. Shades, it's true for us. Shades, there is a guide to glory. This is good news, not just for the Corinthians, but for us too. Because our culture is just like theirs. Is our culture not one obsessed with glory, primarily our own? A culture of self-indulgence, self-sufficiency, and self-promotion. Are not all of us longing for something that gives us meaning, peace, that will make us happy? And does not our culture offer up every kind of guide to glory? Every possible kind of guide who claim they will be able to lead you in the way of wisdom. And yet again and again and again, no matter how many of those guides we follow, they end up leaving us emptier than when we began. Their wisdom turns out to be folly. Shades, Paul has good news for us that there really is a glory like our heart is thirsty for. There really is a glory that can make you eternally happy, and there really is a guide. Let's see him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. Read with me. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God 
which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So if you remember up to this point, Paul has been talking repeatedly about how the gospel seems like foolishness to the world. A a defeated, dying Messiah cannot possibly lead to victorious life. He's defeated, that's not victory. He's dying, that's not life. The gospel looks like foolishness. And Paul has virtually agreed, okay, yeah, the gospel is foolish, but he has agreed with his tongue planted firmly in his cheek. Like so far he's been saying, okay, world, I will admit that the gospel looks like, it looks like foolishness to you. But now, right here, he turns to a deeper truth with the word yet. Okay, it looks like foolishness, but yet the gospel actually is really true wisdom, and that is seen by the mature. Yet, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Sure, it looks like foolishness, but it's actually, if you're mature and you can see it, it's actually wisdom. Paul's playing with words right here. He plays with a lot of words throughout this passage, words that the Corinthians were obsessed with, one of them being the word mature. The Corinthians were obsessed with social rank. Like they, they always wanted to be able to say, I, I am someone who's more mature. I'm someone who's more spiritual. I'm someone who's, who's wiser. Anything they could do to outrank their fellow man. And Paul, he loves to take those Corinthian categories and turn them on their heads. That's what he does right here with the word mature. Mature in Corinthian culture referred to uh, the social elites, those who could distinguish between wisdom and, and folly. So the ones that the Corinthians in their culture would have said were mature were the very ones who would have looked at the gospel and called it foolishness. And so Paul takes all of their categories and flips them on their head. The mature are not the social elites. No, the mature are those who are able to see the gospel that society calls foolish and see that it's actually wise. Mature are not those who pride themselves on achieving wisdom. Mature are those who humble themselves to receive gospel wisdom. His category of mature right here is another, it's it's a synonym for all believers. The mature, those who believe, those who humbly receive the gospel as wisdom. They see that this is true. The the special class your society thinks is mature and wise, they're actually foolish. Paul tells us why. Look at it. Among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, those that you would call mature. No, what they have as wisdom is actually foolishness. It's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. That's why worldly wisdom is foolishness, because it's temporary. It's doomed to pass away. Those who espouse it will pass away. And what they espouse will also pass away. Do do we not observe this like every day? The the wisdom of one generation is condemned as foolishness by the next, right? The wisdom of the world is actually foolish because it doesn't last. 
It's doomed to pass. But not Paul's, verse 7. But we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages. This isn't trendy. This didn't come about yesterday. The wisdom that I'm talking about is woven into the fabric of the universe. The foolish gospel is actually wise because it was decreed before God, by God before the ages began. It wasn't, wasn't brought about by any temporary wisdom of man. And it won't pass away like any temporary wisdom of man. No, its glory will last throughout eternity. And it is a glory for you and me. Look at verse 7 one more time. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Shades, this is why your heart is thirsty for a glory that will make it happy. Every human being on the planet, what is at the bottom of our heart ache and thirst? We want to be happy. We want to have joy. And where do we seek it? We seek it in glory. The beauty, the goodness, the greatness of something, maybe the beauty, the goodness and greatness of a romantic relationship, the glory of a romantic relationship, maybe that will give me the happiness and the joy that I seek. Or maybe in the beauty and the glory, the greatness of, of kids and family. Or maybe of social status, riches, possessions, or, or success in my job, recognition from my coworkers, or, or maybe in leaving some kind of legacy. Whatever it is, we are all thirsty for joy, and the drink we use to try and quench that thirst is the drink of glory. You're joy-thirsty creatures. And it is because we were created that way. Before the ages began, God determined to make you happy with the greatest glory, Himself. And that is why nothing else will satisfy your soul. Only one thing will slake your thirst, the glory of God. When I, when I was a kid, my mom tells me this. She tells me that we would have dinner and I would say that I was full and there would be tons of food left on my plate. And she'd say, well, I guess you don't get dessert then. And I would say, no, my dessert pocket's still empty. A special pocket that only dessert could satisfy. You were created with an inner ache and a longing that only God can satisfy. Some people will say you've got a God-shaped hole in your heart. I don't think that hits at it. I think it's that your whole heart is God-shaped. It was made for him, the whole thing, all of you. And as St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in him. Nothing less than the glory of God will satisfy the thirst of your soul. But in our sin, we seek satisfaction in anything and everything else. In all the things that we think are wise. And we are blind to the one thing that actually satisfies. Look at verse 8. 
None of the rulers of this age understood this. They're blind to it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, God has prepared for those who love him. Paul says the rulers of this world crucified Christ, Pilate, all the Roman officials. When they were doing what they were doing, they couldn't comprehend the wisdom of God and what he was doing in Christ. It couldn't even imagine it. Caiaphas, high priests, Jewish religious leaders, none of them could even fathom what God was up to in Jesus. All the rulers, all the wise ones of this age, the Bible speaks about two ages. There's the age of Genesis 3, the age of sin and death, and there's the age to come. All of the rulers who think in accordance with this age, the age that has been ongoing since Genesis 3, and use all of their wisdom of this present age, they are blind to the wisdom of the gospel. In verse 9, the apostle Paul paraphrased Isaiah to say that the rulers of this world, they can't hear the wisdom of the gospel, they can't see the wisdom of the gospel, they can't even imagine the wisdom of the gospel. So the question becomes, why can anybody? Why can we? What's the difference between the rulers of this age and me? Verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Shades, the difference between the wisdom of this age and the age to come is that one of those wisdoms is achieved, the other one is received. Wisdom, as far as this age sees it, is something that we work for, that we achieve, that puffs up our pride. Wisdom of God is a secret, it's a hidden wisdom, it's got to be revealed. Human beings don't naturally see it, hear it, can't even imagine it. We must be guided to it. The difference between the rulers of this age and me is not that I'm smarter, wiser, or more deserving. The difference actually has nothing to do with me at all. The difference is God's grace. Something that I could never achieve, can, can only be given, it can only be received. The difference is the Holy Spirit, the only true guide to glory. He reveals to us the wisdom of God, the secret hidden wisdom of God that must be made known. The Holy Spirit reveals to us the gospel of God. Without him, we'd never see, hear, or even imagine good news like the gospel. Without him, we would never believe. He is the guide to glory, the glory that will satisfy your soul forever. And this causes me to ask three questions. This is where we'll spend the rest of our time. Three questions. Why, how, and what? Why, how, and what? Number one, why is the Holy Spirit the only guide to glory? Number two, how does the Holy Spirit guide us to glory? And number three, what does that look like in our daily lives? Let's take those one at a time. Number one, why is the Holy Spirit the only guide to glory? That sounds rather narrow, especially compared to the wide offering of Corinthian culture or of our modern-day culture with its innumerable sophists who can guide you to glory in all sorts of different ways, all sorts of different paths to a happy life. In a pluralistic culture, declaring one way seems incredibly foolish 
So why? Why is the Holy Spirit the only guide to glory? Look at verse 10 again, but let's keep reading. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit for, here's why they are revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So Paul uses an illustration. He basically says, who can ever know what you're actually thinking aside from you? Like mind reading is something that we relegate to the genre of science fiction, and we do that for a reason. It's because at the end of the day, the only person who knows what you are thinking is you. That's what Paul says. Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, your innermost self? Obvious answer is nobody knows their thoughts except for you. Paul says the same thing is true with God. No one knows the depths of God except the Holy Spirit of God. He's the one who knows the depths of God's wisdom. Not you, not me. I can't figure it out. This is why there aren't multiple means. It's why there's only one guide to glory. There's only one God. Spirit knows the depths of God's wisdom, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So he's the only guide to it. He's the only one who can make known the wisdom of God. Just like I'm the only one who can make known to you what's in my heart, God's the only one who can make known what's in his. This isn't a mean thing. It's a natural thing. It's a normal thing that we all understand. And it would take a lot of arrogance to say otherwise. Holy Spirit is the only guide to glory because he's the only one who can reveal the glory of God to us, and he does. Which leads to question number two, how? How does the Holy Spirit guide us to glory? Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Paul says, we. Who's he referring to? If you follow the argument of the entirety of chapter 1 into chapter 2, he's talking about teachers of the church. He's primarily referring to himself, to Apollos, to Peter. He says, we, through the Holy Spirit's guidance, not, not our own wisdom, we have come to understand the things that God has freely given to us. And we pass this on to you, Corinth. We impart this to you. How do we do it? In words. Not words of human wisdom we could come up with on our own, but words taught to us by the Spirit of God. Paul says we teach, we preach, we write, but not our words. God's Word. Here is how the Holy Spirit guides us to glory through the word. This is, 
This is a natural extension of the illustration that Paul gave us back in verse 11 when he said, who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person? If if I'm the only one who knows my innermost thoughts and I want to reveal them to you, how do I do that? Words. (laughs) Do it with words. Likewise, the Holy Spirit of God, he's the only one who knows the depths of God. And so when he reveals the depths of the wisdom of God, how does he do it? He does it with words. This is how God has always made himself known. From the very beginning in creation. How does he create? Through words. How does he reveal himself to his prophets? Through words. How does he reveal himself supremely? Through his son. The word made flesh. This is how he continues to reveal himself today. As we continue to preach and to counsel and to speak and to read and to study. That this word is itself known as the sword of the Spirit. It's his weapon to wield in order to reveal God and guide us to enjoy his glory. The word is the means by which we come to know. Not everything. No, Paul says it's the means by which we come to know the things freely given us by God. In other words, the Spirit works through the Word to give us everything we need to know God and to follow Him. It's the means by which the Spirit guides our lives. What does that look like? That's our third and final question, number three. What does the Spirit's guidance in our lives look like? What does the Spirit's guidance look like in our daily lives? My goal here is not to exhaust this. We will get to more that Paul has to say on the subject as we go throughout this letter. But my goal is simply to focus on what he has to say right here at the beginning. What does the Spirit's guidance look like in our daily lives? First of all, it looks like something we recognize. It looks like something we recognize. What do I mean? Look again at the end of verse 13. Paul says that he and other teachers impart the things freely given by God in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Paul says our teaching comes from the Holy Spirit and thus it is recognized and received by all who have the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? That's what he he means at the very end where he says we interpret spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Don't read a modern meaning of the word spiritual into the text right here. When Paul says those who are spiritual, what he means is those who have the Holy Spirit. That's who's spiritual. Uh, We have this nice fun phrase in our modern lingo, I'm spiritual but not religious. And what we mean by that is I like, you know, I think that there's more to this world than just the material, but I don't identify with any kind of like organized religion kind of thing. Paul wouldn't have that category. He would have the exact opposite. He would look at that person and say, you mean you're religious but not spiritual. You think that there's something out there, but you do not know the Holy Spirit of God. 
We interpret spiritual truths from the Holy Spirit to those who are spiritual, who have the Holy Spirit. This term, spiritual, this is another one of those terms that the Corinthians love to use to try and elevate themselves above one another. So they wanted to be seen as I am more spiritual than, than others. But Paul does the same thing right here with this word that we saw him do with the word mature. He says this term, it's not a term for a special class of Christian. It's a term for all Christians. All who have the Holy Spirit of God. Mature, that's a term for all Christians. All. Maturity is is not seeing yourself as wiser than everybody else. No, it's humbly embracing the gospel that looks foolish. You embrace that as real wisdom. And being spiritual, that isn't seeing yourself as more in tune with God than everybody else. No, it's humbly receiving the Spirit's leading through the, the Word. What does the Spirit's leading look like in our daily lives? It looks like something that Christians recognize. In other words, when you hear God's Word, you recognize it as God's Word, and He is calling you and leading you. John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep... Hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Shades, when you hear the word of God preached, read, spoken to you in counsel, when when you hear the word of God, do you recognize it as the voice of God? Does this gospel sound like wisdom to you? Does this Jesus look powerful? glorious. Do you want to know him, follow him, embrace him? Do you recognize him as Lord? If so, that is the Holy Spirit speaking and leading and guiding you to glory. I know that because without the Holy Spirit, Jesus wouldn't look glorious to you. The gospel would not look wise. Look at verse 14. The natural person, it's the person without the Holy Spirit, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they're folly to him. The gospel will look like utter foolishness to you. It's a secret, a hidden wisdom. It has to be revealed. Shades, get this. Get get this for a moment, okay? John chapter 11, one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. It's the resurrection of Lazarus. And I think that we have a tendency to read resurrection story or read stories like that, whether it's a miracle like the resurrection of Lazarus or it's a miracle where Jesus like restores the sight of a blind person or gives a deaf person uh, the ability to hear. We read those stories and I think that often our impulse is, man, I wonder what it would be like to experience something like that. How easy would that make faith? Like if I'd been dead and Jesus called me out of the grave, How crazy would that be? Shades, what I'm saying and what Paul is saying right here in 1 Corinthians 2 is that is your story. You were dead 
spiritually, and the natural person does not believe that the gospel is wisdom or powerful, it is foolishness, and it is weakness, and they cannot think otherwise. And if you think otherwise, that Jesus is beautiful, glorious, alive, resurrected, if you think that it is because God, by his Holy Spirit, raised you from the dead and gave you new life in Christ, and you are breathing the breath of faith. You don't have to wonder what it would be like to have Lazarus' story. You got his story. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned, because the Spirit of God is the only one who knows the depths of the wisdom of God, and he must reveal it. Has he revealed it to you? Do you recognize the wisdom of the gospel and the glory of Christ? What does the Spirit's guidance look like in our daily lives? First, it looks like something we recognize. Second, it looks like something we utilize. It looks like something we utilize or something we apply. And not just to some things, but to, to everything. Look at verse 15 and 16. Spiritual person, person with the Holy Spirit, judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Spiritual person, indwelt, guided by the Holy Spirit, judges all things. Or in other words, sifts. It's a way of translating that word. Sifts all things, discerns all things. In other words, we think about everything in life through the lens of the gospel and what it says is wise. That's how we judge everything. I make all of my decisions based upon Christ, his death and resurrection and what he has deemed as eternally important. I prioritize my life based upon him and his word. My life is being guided towards his, by his gospel and towards what he calls glory. And shades so often to the world, that looks foolish. For the ultimate purpose of my life to not be education and accolades or to not be money or possessions or success or legacy, all the things that the world would point me towards is glories. I abandon all of that for the glory of a dead Jewish first century Messiah that looks foolishness. But it's how I look at everything, judge and think through everything. And the world can call it foolish all they want, but they cannot ultimately sit in judgment over me, for they do not, cannot know the mind of the Lord. That's what Paul says. In verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. That doesn't mean that no one can hold me accountable. Paul is about to do a lot of holding the Corinthians accountable. And we can hold one another accountable a lot. This verse has been misquoted, misapplied a lot. What that means is the spiritual person judges all things, lives their life in accordance with the wisdom of God that he has revealed in the gospel, and the world can try to say that's folly all they want to, but the world can't actually sit in judgment on us because they don't know the mind of God. We have the mind of Christ. Shades. What does the Spirit's guidance look like in our daily lives? It looks like something that we recognize 
and utilize. It looks like the gospel actually being a guide towards what we think is glorious and will make us happy, namely the glory of Christ. And we go that way, no matter if that makes the world think that we, no matter if that makes us look immature or foolish to our culture or to the world, no matter if it makes us leave behind all the things that our culture claims are wise, we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and we follow after Christ. When I was in uh, fifth grade, when my brother was in first grade, uh, we rode the bus, which at the time, uh, school bus wasn't divided by ages. It was just, you know, kindergarten through senior years. It was a really brilliant thing. And my bus had a particular culture. I've shared some of it with you before. But uh, the, the pecking order on this bus <coughs> was typically established by physical dominance. It was not uncommon for fights to break out on my bus or for there to be fights when we got off of the bus. And this was wise in the eyes of all of these middle schoolers, high schoolers, what have not. One day we were on our way home, and my brother who's in first grade, he and another little first grader started to get into it. Other people on the bus started to get involved. We got to my bus stop, and the entire bus just emptied at my bus stop. They all followed me and my younger brother home, and these older boys, they formed a circle around my brother and this other little first grader, and they're just egging them on to, to fight, fight. Now, to interrupt this in any way is social suicide on this bus. This is, this is the way things are done. This is how we determine where you stand. And so I was supposed to sit it out. But in my heart, I recognized another voice. It was the voice of my mother who told me that I was always to stick up for my brother. So I recognized that voice, and I decided to also utilize some of the tools that I knew my mother had at her disposal, her weapons. I went into our kitchen, into the pantry, and there was a basket with a can of pepper spray. And I took it, and I went out to the circle where this one particular burly eighth grader named Bo was standing. He was the biggest one in the circle, and I said, Bo, let me in the middle of the circle to my brother. And he was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I said, Bo, let me into the middle of the circle or I'm going to spray you in the face with this pepper spray. And he goes, you wouldn't do that. And I went, <laughs> My aim wasn't great. I hit his mouth, but apparently that's good enough. It burns. The whole thing splits. They all run and flee, and I get into my younger brother. We go inside. We bandage up his lip. Nobody on that bus ever messed with me or my brother again. <laughs> it's a silly story. It's a silly example. But what my context would have deemed as foolish and weak led to be a kind of wisdom and ultimate victory. Shades, we live in the midst of a world that promotes things as wise that are just as foolish as what my bus culture promoted. And in the midst of that, 
You have been given the Spirit of God, a voice you can recognize and not just recognize, but utilize the gospel that he has given us in order to live a life that is truly wise, even if it looks foolish and immature to the rest of the world. We can live our lives seeking not the glory that the world promotes, but the glory of Christ, the glory that will actually satisfy. He is where we find peace and meaning and where our hearts will be happy forever, feasting on his glory. Shades, come, let the Holy Spirit be your guide to find full and final joy in the glory of Christ. Let the Spirit be your guide to glory. Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen.